Well, good morning. It's a pleasure to be with you. Um, my wife actually teaches at Ben Lippin Lower School. She teaches music, so we've been in this uh, facility many, many times for many different occasions and concerts and all of that. So it feels, feels like home in many respects. So uh, it's a pleasure to be with you, uh, to worship with you this morning. Um, I want to just read our text again briefly. Uh, it's a brief text, just one verse out of Psalm 34. And uh, listen to these encouraging words from God. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we acknowledge that you are good. There is no one good but you. Lord, I pray that in these next few moments, as we think through and meditate upon this text and this psalm, that you would glorify yourself in our hearts, that you would bring great encouragement to us. Lord, we are a weak and needy people. We need your encouragement. We need to see and taste your goodness. May your spirit move in our midst this morning. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Many of you may know the story of Corey Ten Boom. Uh, she and her family lived in the Netherlands during World War II and helped many Jews escape the Nazis during that war by hiding them in their home. And she has a famous book called The Hiding Place. Some of you may have read that. But eventually, she and her family were caught and sent to a concentration camp. Uh, she was later released, and she was able to continue to minister. Not all of her family made it out, but she was able to minister for the glory of Christ, speaking to many people. But I recently came across a quote from her. Uh, it was in a Gospel Coalition article recently. Uh, a quote from her on the issue of worry. Listen to these words. She says, Worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. Satan wants to double dip. He wants you to live in despair while you are in trials and to live in dread when you're not. Does that resonate with you? Where does that hit you uh, where you live today? The issue of worry. Maybe you're here today and you feel brokenhearted for one reason or another. Maybe you feel crushed in spirit. You know, life is hard. And sometimes it's hard to see the light at the end of the tunnel. When your fight is gone, your hopes are dashed. Maybe you feel that way this morning. Perhaps you just look around yourself. It doesn't, it doesn't take long to see this. There's a lot of evil and suffering in the world. And maybe you're facing those things in your own life today. And maybe you're asking like those in Psalm 4 who are asking, who will show us some good? 
And that brings us to our text. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Now, from the little evidence we have from the title of this psalm, it came out of David's own desperation. He was on the run from Saul for his life. He was driven to such emotional extremes that he sought safety in Gath, where Goliath was from, the Philistines, the enemy. And then out of fear for his life there, he faked like he was insane to preserve his life. Feeling totally unwanted at home and abroad. Maybe he felt those words that he penned later in Psalm 142. No one cares for my soul. Think about the worry and anxiety and fear that he felt in such a situation. The loneliness, the discouragement, literally at the end of his rope. Now, when we feel those things, those feelings that I just listed, we often think we are the least likely to experience God's goodness or experience His nearness to us. It's in those moments we feel like He's the furthest away I can even imagine. Yet that is exactly what David tells us in this psalm. This is where he experienced and tasted the goodness of God. This is where God was near to him. So I want you to be encouraged as we consider this psalm together that you are never without hope. For when we sit in darkness, the Lord will be our light. Darkness is not dark to him. The night is as bright as the day. He truly is an ever-present help in times of trouble, wherever you find yourself. Now, on the basis of David's own experience, he exhorts the people of God and us today, hearing these words. He exhorts us to action in verse 8. This exhortation to taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, this idea of tasting and seeing is a metaphor for experiencing God. That's what he's calling us to do in light of his own experience, to taste and see the goodness of God. The question is, how do we do that? That sounds really nice, but practically, how do we even go about that? Well, if we continue to read the end of that verse... We largely taste and see him, experience God and his goodness by taking refuge in him. Now, in Scripture, this idea of taking refuge in the Lord includes a number of things. Things like trusting in him, as opposed to taking refuge or trusting in man or idols. It involves divine protection and comfort That the Lord gives as our refuge. And it involves deliverance, which we read about in this Psalm 34 as well. God actually does things. 
Now, from a larger context uh, of the psalm, taking refuge in the Lord involves these things. Seeking the Lord, verse 4. Looking to Him, verse 5. And crying out to Him in three different places explicitly mentioned. Now, all three of these things listed in this psalm related to taking refuge in the Lord point to faith expressed in prayer to God. In other words, you cannot take refuge in God without talking to Him. You cannot taste and see without prayer. When it comes to the Christian life, something will be missing for us if we merely talk about it without tasting it. That's easy to do, isn't it? To talk about the Christian life. To be around people who talk about it. But are we really tasting of the goodness of God? One of the things I enjoy in life is coffee. I like a good cup of coffee. And I think, I kind of know the difference between a good cup of coffee and a bad cup of coffee. However, I'm often puzzled when I read descriptions of coffee blends and roasts that you see advertised uh, at a coffee shop, like Starbucks, for instance. You know, oftentimes you'll read things like, this blend has a lemon and chocolate flavor. I don't know if I've ever tasted lemon and chocolate when I drank coffee, but I suppose that's possible. A lingering peppery spice. Okay, how about this? I actually read this somewhere. The taste of fresh earth. (laughs) Like a cup of dirt. (laughs) Like that's supposed to be appealing to me. Maybe I don't have a sophisticated palate enough to, to appreciate those subtle nuances of coffee blends. But that's not what I'm tasting when I'm drinking their coffee. Uh... You know, you can't really perceive the taste of something through mere description of it or some sort of rational analysis, statistics, things like that. At some point, you just need to taste it for yourself. Then you'll know if it's good or not. When it comes to our spiritual health and the health of our churches, we must not be satisfied with a mere rational description of our faith or biblical truths about who God is, we must also taste them for ourselves. We don't just acknowledge God from afar. We don't just talk about Him. We need to talk to Him. That reminds me of a quote I remember hearing one time from John Piper, and he was just making a offhanded comment about it's not very good to talk for very long about God without talking to him. See, if we just talk about him, he's just out there somewhere in another realm. Almost as if he's not really present or even real. He's just an idea or something that we think about from time to time. No, we need to talk to him in order to taste of his goodness.
taste and see that the Lord is good by taking refuge in him and praying being a primary way that we do that. Just think about it for a moment. The goodness of God. He is the infinite fountain of goodness that you'll never reach the bottom of. And we're guilty of this. We, we, try, we, we think in ways that try to draw an outline around his goodness. This is how far his goodness goes and no further. Every time we try to chart that out, the Lord erases those lines and blows our categories of what goodness really is. He is that good. He's far beyond anything that you can imagine in terms of his goodness. Think of a passage like Jeremiah 32, verse 40 and 41. This is a passage about uh, where the prophet speaks of the new covenant, the everlasting covenant through the Messiah. And what God promises to do, and God speaking here says, I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. Skipping down further, it says, I will rejoice in doing them good. And I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and soul. How deep is the heart and soul of God. It's infinitely deep. But how often are we tempted to think he's not even as good as the best person we can think of? That he's reluctant to promise us things and to bless us with things. That he really doesn't want to do that. Do you think of him that way? we need to be reminded and renewed in the truth of the scriptures. So if this is true about God and his goodness, what keeps us from tasting and seeing that he is good? I just want to talk about three main uh, obstacles to tasting and seeing the goodness of God and that you could add to this list. First of all, We fail to taste and see his goodness by neglecting the means of grace. And I've already alluded to this. And when I say means of grace, I'm talking primarily about the word, prayer, and the sacraments. Are we neglecting those things? Even the 19th century missionary, Henry Martin, who did missionary work in the 1800s in India and other places in the Middle East, Even he, the missionary who had given his life to the Lord in service, lamented in his diaries of his own neglect of private devotional reading and private prayer. And listen to this reason that he neglected. Because of incessant sermon making had produced much strangeness between God and his own soul. Even when he was busy with religious activity, there was a strangeness. He wasn't tasting and seeing the goodness of God. He was was in the Word and he was preparing words for other people to hear. 
but he saw the neglect of preaching it to himself and meeting with God in his own devotional life. And we could expand that. What about just constant church busyness in general? There's a lot of things to be busy with in a church plant. There's a lot of needs. I think of the story of of Martha. When Jesus visited Mary and Martha. If you remember, Martha was the one who was anxious and troubled about many things. What was she doing? She was serving Jesus. Isn't that justifiable (laughs) in her own home? But what did she fail to do? She neglected the better thing, which was to sit at Jesus' feet and to hear from him. Do you feel strangeness in your relationship with God? Has your public life or even your public Christian life choked out your private devotion to the Lord? You know, Jesus would often, we read in the Gospels, get away to be with the Father alone, spending much time in prayer. He was the sinless, perfect man. How much more do we need to be alone with God? Not as a burdensome duty, but to to taste and see his goodness and to be encouraged. A second uh, obstacle to tasting and seeing the goodness of God are simply distractions. And you could fill in the blank with many different things that we're distracted with these days. Um, Have you ever tried to spend time with God and His Word and multitask while you're doing it? It doesn't work very well. But many of us have, have our smartphones. We lay them out next to our Bibles. We read a few things. Oh, I need to check this. I want, I need to check this. Okay, back to the, it doesn't work. It takes time to get our hearts settled. And I appreciated at the beginning of your service taking that time to really settle our hearts because we are distracted and busy with many things in our hearts and minds. Other distractions, career, family. Those are all good things, but they can often take the place of where God should be in our lives. It's almost as if God becomes like background music to your life. He's really not what you're focused on day to day. He's just kind of in the backdrop somewhere, and you'll go to him if you need something. Don't we need him all the time? I don't know about you, but I I feel that need constantly. Often we seek refuge in anything and everything but the Lord. And we run ourselves ragged to our wit's end before we will turn to the Lord and taste and see his goodness. A third obstacle, and all of these are related to some degree, I suppose, But it's simply this, it's unbelief. When the rubber meets the road, we often really don't believe there there is a response 
to be had from God. That if we, if we really sat at his feet, he's not going to say anything. Have you ever felt that way? Remember that God tells us in his word that we do not seek him in vain. He says that very thing in Isaiah 45. Why? Because he tells the truth. And if he says, taste and see, my goodness, there's tasting and seeing to be had. It's not a lie. It's not an empty promise. There really is something to taste and see. There really is blessing to be found and experienced. I think of Hebrews 11.6. Uh, that chapter, of course, is about faith with many examples from the scriptures about faith, true faith being expressed. Well, in verse 6, it talks about core central truths about what our faith should be, the nature of our faith. One is we need to believe that he's real, that he exists. But that's not all. We also need to believe that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. He's responsive to his people. And we see that throughout this psalm. Is it that we have not because we ask not? We're not willing to express faith in order to taste and see because we think he won't answer or he won't give us any benefit. What if I seek him and nothing happens and he won't be found? Remember the words of the scriptures. There is a living God on the other side of our prayers. I mean, look at verses 4 through 7. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers him. That sounds like a responsive living God to me. Not one who is merely far off. Notice, and maybe we just take this for granted, but as the living God, he speaks and listens. That's a key truth that's emphasized throughout Scripture. What is that usually contrasted with? Dead idols. They can't hear, they can't speak, and can't do anything. So the question for us, who do we believe God to be? Is he the true living God, or is he like a dead idol that doesn't really hear or see or do anything? This is at the heart of what we talk about with communion with God. What is communion with God? It's, it's listening to Him and speaking to Him. Listening to His Word, speaking to Him in prayer. Again, we commune with a personal living God, not with a philosophical abstraction or some sort of math problem in the universe. He's a personal living God. 
who hears us, speaks to us. Maybe when it comes down to it, we really don't believe he's good. Maybe that's our form of unbelief when we read verse 8. When we ask the question in our minds, who will show us some good? We sort of default to, well, no one. And not even God, at least in this life. Have you ever thought that? Yeah, you know, when I die with him in heaven, yeah, he'll show us some good there. But we can't really hope for goodness here. Well, that's not what David experienced. He experienced God's goodness in his situation. And we read elsewhere in the Psalms, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Who will show us some good? No one but God. No one is good but God alone. You will not taste and see the goodness of the Lord if you do not read his word. I think this is what we're seeing as I'm bringing up these different passages. It's here that we find his goodness revealed. If you're not reading the word, where does your mind go? Where does it default to? Not goodness. It's usually despair or cynicism, discouragement. That's why I was encouraged to see in your, in your bulletin this morning the summer reading challenge, this reading guide. I would encourage you all to take advantage of that. Be on a reading plan that takes you through the whole counsel of God. There's no substitute for that. In his word, you'll see and taste of his goodness as you read about what he has done. The same is true with prayer, as I said earlier. If you don't talk to him, you're not going to experience his goodness. You're not going to taste. I love Psalm 62, verse 8, which says, Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Pour out your heart. You know, that's one of the most wonderful things about uh, prayer, the gift of prayer is to be able to unburden yourself before the Lord. It reminds me of a great comment from John Calvin in his commentary on Genesis 18. He's talking about uh, the privilege and the blessing of prayer. And he says that in prayer, we are permitted to pour into God's bosom or heart the difficulties which torment us in order that he may loosen the knots that we cannot untie. Have you ever felt that way in your life where you just emotionally just feel all knotted up? Maybe you're in a situation where you just, you don't see a way out. You don't see how anything good can come from any of this. And you have all these emotions just bound up within you. You don't know what to do with them. And it's weighing you down. We can unburden ourselves in prayer and taste of his goodness. He is able to untie those knots, even when you can't. He knows you completely. 
And one more thing in light of this passage, verse 8. It talks about, again, him being a refuge for us. Know this about your great God. He wants to be your refuge. You're not bothering him by running to him as a refuge. You're not wearing him out. See, we often think God's like us with all our limitations, with all our imperfections and sins and selfishness. He's not like us. Praise, praise be to the Lord. You're not wearing him out. You're not bothering him. In fact, you glorify him as refuge by going to him for it. You glorify him by needing him, by running to him. Be encouraged by that. That's his heart for you as his child. So in the grind of your life, have you lost your taste for the goodness of God? I want you to be encouraged this morning from this passage. And I referenced Psalm 4 earlier. Who will show us some good? You know how that psalm answers that question? He says, You have put more joy in my heart than when their grain and wine abound. God will show you good. He will satisfy your heart with good things. You can feast upon the, the abundance of his house. You know, Corey Ten Boom's sister, Betsy, who did not make it out of that camp alive, said this to Corey shortly before they parted ways. She said, There is no pit so deep that God is not deeper still. He is able and willing to spread a table in your wilderness. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we praise you that you are good. That you are abundant in your goodness. Far beyond what we can imagine. And it's not too good to be true. It is true. And we rejoice in that this morning. Would you enable us to taste and see and experience your goodness? Help us to run to you quickly as a refuge and not to other things. Lord, help us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.